events, I'm still here. <laughs> this is what Caleb gets for leaving. He's just going to, you, you're stuck with me. Caleb leaves, you're stuck with me. Now this is going to be good. That being said, it is, um, this will probably be a little shorter than I usually preach. And that can, I know that makes you all really sad. You're all like, oh man, I really wanted that extra 15 minutes of like really deep theological exposition on the virgin birth. But we're not going to do that today. Um, I keep saying it's more like a, an extended devotion than it is a sermon. Um, some of that's just because it feels weird that it's just me up here all week. And... I get tired of me, so I'm sure y'all get tired of me too. So uh, if you want to go ahead and start turning to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start there. You can also kind of start turning to Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to end up. I tried to think for a long time about what specifically I wanted to talk about today. Because there's, and I mean, I even said this at uh, community group earlier, they're like, what do you guys think I should preach about this week? Because... It's just so wide open. Like, we don't usually do lots of topical stuff. We do lots of, let's grab a book and let's go through a book. And that's really easy to decide what you're going to talk about. You just kind of go with whatever the Bible gives you next. But, but I have kind of one week on Christmas Eve. What is the, what is the message that, that God wants us to have today? What are we supposed to be looking at today? Uh, and, and, you know, I even like went so far as to like, Google, like, what, what do other people preach about on Christmas Eve? And it was like, and one, I found this one article, it was like, eight sermons we're all tired of hearing on Christmas Eve. And it was like, things called Jesus is the reason for the season, which I know Caleb used like last week. So I'm going to throw that in there. He used that phrase. Um, he's not here to defend himself. You know, I joked about the theology of the virgin birth. It was like, you can go really, really like, like nerdy, techy, like let's break down, let's study the significance of these sorts of things. So we're not doing any of that. We're not doing any of that. We're just going to read some Bible. I'm going to hopefully make a few connections. And, and, and in the end, I hope that, and this, is, this sounds like the same thing I keep saying to you every time I'm up here preaching, I'm hoping by the end that we're driven to worship because of who Jesus is. That's my whole, that's my whole goal, is that we're driven to worship because of who Jesus is, because because the people who have been affected in the Bible leading up to Jesus' coming, every time they see these moments where we're reminded that Jesus is coming and that God is at work in those things, just like Caleb has been teaching for the past month, you know, reminding us that God has been faithful all along and so we can trust that he'll continue to be faithful. When we see those moments, I want us to be, be inspired to, to worship, be, be moved to worship, be, be reminded just how much, just how much we we love him, and we love that he came here for us. So we're going to start in Genesis 3.15, which, which is a verse you've heard us reference a whole lot, but I think this is the perfect place to start because this, this is kind of where Jesus is first, the idea of the Messiah is first introduced to us. You've got to think, at this, at this point in Genesis, there are two people. Two. You've got Adam, you've got Eve, everything's great. And then sin enters the world, everything falls apart, and God starts handing out curses. God says, this is going to be tough on you, Adam. It's going to be really hard for you to work now to provide for your family. He says, he says, he says to Eve, Eve, like childbearing is going to be tough for you now. This is part of the curse for you, for you having sin. And then we get to Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15, God's going to talk to the serpent who came along and... Um, and confused Adam and Eve, who, 
who, who introduced the idea, hey, you could do this and you could be like God, who kind, of, who kind of built up their pride, puffed them up and said, you could be so much more. And so, and so to the serpent, God says, and this is Genesis 3.15, it'll be on the screen, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we've used this verse a lot at CRC. You have heard us read this verse and talk about how it's, it's referencing a thing, an idea in theology that we call the Proto-Evangelion. I'm not even going to quiz you today. I know Nick was ready. He was like, not me. No, yeah, I know you know. It's the first telling of the gospel. It's the first, the moment after they sinned, God says to Satan, hey, this isn't going to last. Like, enjoy this while you can, because in the end, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to defeat you. You think, you think that you're going to hurt me, but all you're going to do is just bruise my heel. Um, not, I'm not going to call any specific people out, but there may have been somebody who stepped on Legos at my house yesterday. And I know that that hurts. If you've ever done that, it hurts. But it's not like, oh, you've stepped on Legos, we're going to have to amputate, right? It, it hurts, but it's, it's short term. It doesn't last. And I think kind of what God is saying to Satan at this point is, you're gonna, you got this small thing that you're seeing as a victory. But let me tell you, the big picture here is, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to defeat you once and for all. This isn't going to be just like, I sting you and you keep coming back. No, when I beat you, it's going to be for real. And so we have this, this kind of this first telling of the gospel. And God is saying this in front of Adam and Eve, and they're hearing all this. God's going to send somebody through our offspring that's going to fix this sin problem. Fast forward just a little while. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. You've heard this story before, but just to remind you, um, they both were presenting offerings to God and God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's offering. And, and Cain became very jealous of his brother to the point that he went and murdered him and tried to, and tried to bury him and hide it. And God saw, saw through the whole thing um, and then ended up sending Cain away and saying, you know, we, we're rejecting you, you're done, go, be gone. And kind of left Adam and Eve in this place where it's like, well, now what? God promised that through our offspring was going to come this Messiah, but now we've been left with no son. If you flip over probably a page to Genesis 4, in Genesis 4, verse 25, we've kind of gotten this picture of what happened with, with Cain. He got sent away. He got kind of cast out. And we see that, that from Cain there's going to be this really long line of wickedness. There's going to be this really long line of people who, who don't love God, who are, who are sinful. And then, and then in verse 425, uh, it says this, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. What Eve is saying here is, all of this bad stuff has happened. I've lost both my sons. One is dead and one is gone. But then in this moment, she has another son and she has this 
realization, she's reminded, God still said he was going to do this. God is still faithful to fulfill his promise, even though we had this kind of short-term, really bad period of our lives. And she gives all the credit and all the glory in this moment to God. She's saying, look, God has appointed that we have another son. God is the one who's still orchestrating this plan. God is the one who's still kind of pushing his plan forward. And in this moment, it's just one moment. And it's not like she just gave birth to the Messiah, right? It's not like this was Jesus and now he's going to fix everything and then we go on forward from there. No, no, no. We still have thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history But even in this small moment, she's reminded this is one step in the right direction. This is one step where God is still going to continue to fulfill this thing that he promised, even though we've just gone through this terrible time. Eve kind of saw this this small moment, this, this, this one moment in her life, and was moved to worship because she remembered that God was continuing to be faithful. And and the Bible continues to be filled, especially in the Old Testament, with all these little moments. Like, we're not going to read all of these, but like think of like stories like Moses' mother who, who, who kind of boldly takes a risk, and instead of revealing that she has a son when, when Pharaoh's ordered that all the male babies be killed, she goes and she puts him in a river and just trusts that God's going to do something to protect him. And then that, that child is saved and, and given back to her to raise by Pharaoh's daughter. And, and that child is the one who God uses to, to pull his people out of slavery and take them into their promised land. Right? With, with that one moment, that one moment of her trusting that God could take care of him, that God would save him, is just one moment. But that's just one moment that God used to orchestrate his greater plan to save his people, to bring them out of Egypt. Um, Think of uh, Ruth, who was a girl from another land, not even even a Jew, not not from Israel, who who follows her mother-in-law back to Israel as a widow, having seemingly no hope, but, but, but finds favor in the eyes of Boaz, who it turns out, as the Bible always seems to say, it just so happened that he was the one who had the right to marry her and redeem her. And she became the grandmother of David, who became king, who, who was given this promise that, that, that he's, his, his throne would last forever, that he would lead to the Messiah, the one true king. But all of that in Ruth's life started when they were on a road and her mom's and her, her mother-in-law said, you can go home. You don't have to come with me. It's not going to be good for you here. And she said, no, I'm going to come with you. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And God used that moment. And then he used the next moment where she just happens to be, it just so happened that she's in that same field where she's going to find the person who can redeem her. All of these things are just seemingly small moments, but in each of those moments, God is continuing to continue His plan to bring about salvation, to bring about the Messiah.
All of these are seemingly insignificant people. Who was Moses' mother? Who was Ruth? And then it all kind of seemingly, it all kind of culminated with another unknown, seemingly insignificant girl from a tiny town that nobody really cared about. When an angel comes to Mary and says, hey, this is the real one. This is it. You're the one who gets to actually have the Messiah, the real one, the one that we have been waiting for for all of this time. So as you turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to get to kind of read where her heart was when she knew that God had chosen her for that moment. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So for the last month, Caleb has just kind of been hammering the same point home, that we should look back and be reminded of God's faithfulness because every time we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, we can just be resolved to be excited in knowing that he continues to be faithful. It just continues to build this case over and over and over again. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. And in this moment, when Mary's sitting here thinking, I'm the one that God has chosen, it's just kind of this like eye-opening God's been working out all of these huge steps along the way. He's made kings. He's destroyed empires. He's, he's given different people dominion. He's, he's fed the hungry. He's, he's done all of these amazing things. And it all kind of comes together. It all kind of culminates in this moment. And he's chosen me. And now people are going to look back and say, man, she was amazing. She's so important. They're going to look back on me in favor. But she knows that he does all these things through the humble, through the small, through the seemingly insignificant, all of these small little moments that we kind of brush off and say, that didn't really make a difference. That wasn't really a thing. I've told, there are so many different ways that I've told my testimony over the years, but when I, when I think back through how do, I, how do I tend to tell it the most consistently, I always talk about these little moments that I didn't think were as big a deal as they were all along the way to get me to the place that God has me now. Um, like, like, I'm a nerd, so I liked playing video games. So when I talked to the professor at ETSU who said, you can make video games, I'm like, sign me up. 
only to realize that I hate the idea of making video games because it's no fun. But it did get me in the program that got me a degree, that got me a job at ETSU, that paid for me to go to seminary so that I could have a background in all different sorts of theology so that when God said, hey, I want you to go plant a church in a couple of weeks, I had this basis of knowledge, and I was like, I guess that was the whole reason that I was in this all along. And when, you look, and when you're in each moment, you're like, I'm talking to a professor at a table who says, what games do you like? You want to make one? And you're like, sure. A seemingly insignificant moment that leads to the next moment, that leads to the next moment, that leads us to the place that God has us right now. And I think it would be really cool if we as a church could train ourselves to see how God is working out a bigger plan in the small moments, in the little things that we would normally discard and not necessarily give him credit for. We would just say, that was just a thing. Like, I went to McDonald's for lunch today. Seems like a throwaway, a throwaway decision. Where are you going to lunch today? I guess I'll go to McDonald's. But for some reason, God wanted you at McDonald's that day. For some reason, God wanted you in the school that you're in or in the job that you're in. So he set you up along the way. He put, he put all these steps in your path that lead you to the place that you are right now. Because he's been, and, and he's been using seemingly insignificant moments, small moments. Sure, it's not a small moment that Eve had a son. That's a big deal. If you've had a kid, you're like, yeah, it's kind of a big deal when you have a kid for you. But, but how many babies are probably going to be born in the med center today? How many of those moments are actually affecting any one of us? They're not. Unless you happen to know somebody that's having a baby today, in which case I don't want to make light of the fact that your friend is having a baby. <laughs> but, but there are lots of things happening in lots of people's lives right now that are not affecting you, but are just as integral a part of God's plan that he is working out. We read all of these small moments that seem just kind of set aside throughout the Old Testament. I pulled up some that we're more familiar with, but there are a lot of names in here. We've been reading through, like, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings on Sunday night. There are a bunch of names in there that I still don't have straight who is who and who they're related to and what their role is under the king. Like, there are a lot of these people, but every single one of them played an integral part in God bringing about redemption for the world, which he'd said he was going to do from the beginning in Genesis. That was always his plan. And he was always going to use all of these teeny tiny moments, these small things that are seemingly insignificant to, to put together this great big picture, this great big picture of redemption and salvation for his creation. And if, and if the light bulb moment ever happens for us where we all realize that every single little thing that is happening is happening because God designed it to happen that way and he's using it to bring together this beautiful picture of redemption and build up his church and use his church to, to bring the gospel around the world so that he can save the nations. When that moment clicks that we realize everything that seems so insignificant is huge and is a huge part of God's plan because that's exactly how he has scripted it. 
then, then we're going to not just see these little moments and be like, what'd you do today? Well, I went to McDonald's for lunch. I got a Diet Coke. I got two, three more refills because I'm addicted. But we'll say, I was at McDonald's and for some reason God wanted me there. And maybe it means I had a meaningful conversation with the lady who walks around cleaning up the, the eating area at McDonald's. If she does talk to you, she will talk to you for a long time if you ask her questions. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. She's very, she's very pleasant. Her name is Lucy. You might have a meaningful conversation. You might not. And you might be like, well, that lunch didn't mean anything. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. God does great things through small, humble, seemingly insignificant moments in our lives. And when we start to realize that, when we start to get a glimpse of that, when we start to say, yes, I see it now, then even the smallest, seemingly most insignificant moments of our lives will lead us to worship. Mary was from, Mary was a nobody from a small town that nobody knew. Like, oh, she's from over there. I mean, later on, after Jesus grew up, they're like, oh, he's from Nazareth. What good comes from Nazareth? Right? Like, There was nothing to us that would have seemed particularly special about her except that God was going to use her to bring the Messiah into the world. And God says, hey, this is it. This is you. And what's her response? She bursts into song. She immediately starts to worship. And that's who I want us to be as a people. I want us to, I want us to see these moments, to, to read these moments in Scripture and have one of those aha moments. Oh, look, God was at work there too. It's not, just, it's not just that he said, it's not just that this event happened in some historical section of narrative in 2 Kings, but it's, oh, look, look at what God was doing, and look at how that eventually led to Christ redeeming the world and bringing us back to him. I want us to have those moments, and I want those moments to spur us to worship. I want us to be excited about those moments. I want us to be overwhelmed and overjoyed by the fact that he has done great things, just like she said. I want us to think back, when we think back about all these ways that he's been faithful, like we've been talking for the past month, I want us to be so excited that he has done these great things that we're moved to worship. We don't just say, wow, he did that. That's a really neat thing that he did. Okay, I'm going to go on with the rest of my day. I want us to see those things and be amazed and overwhelmed and left in awe. And like, I have to say just how amazing my God is because I've seen him do all of these wonderful things. I want that to be the way that we talk about him. I want that to be the way that we talk about the little things that happen throughout our day. Good or bad or seemingly indifferent. We're moved to worship when God does something big and amazing. But we're also moved to worship when God does something small and seemingly insignificant. Or when something bad happens, we're still reminded, you know what? But he's faithful and he's going to use this for something. There's a reason that I'm in this situation. That's all I got. Look at how God used the small moments to bring about redemption for the world. And even though we're, I think it's also a really time, a good message for us, just because I sometimes am like, we're so small as a church. Like, we might be 20, we might be 15, we might be 35. We might have a huge week and have 40 people. Like it feels like we're just, we're just a small church 
on a street that's hard to find our location. We don't look like a church. Like, I like being reminded myself when I'm like, I'm in a small place with a small group of people that God still uses small, humble things as a part of his plan. And I can, I can worship him for the fact that he has done those great things through us and through the rest of his church. So let's pray. God, I just thank you that you have done such amazing things. And, and even in the moments when all of these people that we were talking about were in them, maybe it didn't feel like this was a, a world-changing, like, shattering moment in history. But it was just, hey, I'm going to go live in this country instead of this country. Or I'm going to go stay with my mother-in-law instead of go home. Or I'm going to go pick, pick up grain in this field, but that was a huge moment, and that was an important moment, that was a moment that you had, had written from before you created the world. And God, we have those kinds of moments that seem like just throwaway decisions, and they seem so insignificant. But God, you've been working through each and every one of those moments for our whole lives. And God, I just pray that we would see that and be overwhelmed and amazed and moved to worship and excited so that when we get to remember this time of year that you sent your son, it's not just, yay, it's Christmas, we get to sing about Jesus being born, but that we realize just how much went into your plan leading up to that moment and that we would be amazed and excited and overwhelmed and moved to worship, that we would just burst into song, that we'd be so overjoyed by what it is that you have done. Because God, you have done great things in history and in our own lives and in this church. God, let us find joy in the small things that you're doing, in those seemingly insignificant moments in our lives. Let us just be overwhelmed by that.